broadcasting live from a real fancy looking basic mountain on the plain of Kaladesh. This is Tap Tap Concede. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tap Tap Concede. My name is Graham. Joining me here is Cameron. Hello. And Nelson. What up, everybody? And today we are primarily going to be talking about Core Set 2021 and some spoilers, including our spoiler card, which at time of recording, you won't have heard about, but at time of airing, will have come out on Friday because time this is not a thing this is not pandemic isolation time this is just normal weird time in the land of internet content creation yeah it turns out that we can bend space and time to our will equally easily when we're all in different rooms than when we were in the moon base it's so much easier William Gibson wrote an essay about this called dead man speaks about the first record players nice that's it. That's my entire story. <laughs> this, this, before we get into it, this show uh, is brought to you by Card Kingdom. Do check out cardkingdom.com slash LRR for all of your card needs. They are shipping. They're back in the warehouse, albeit at not maximum capacity. And yet they're still doing amazing work from what I from what I understand in terms of getting orders out the door as quickly as possible. So go to cardkingdom.com slash LRR, ask them for the button, tell them we sent you. They'll give you a little one inch button. I don't know what it is right now because I think they're running low and I've got to get them some more. And of course, this show and everything that we do is brought to you by you and your kind support of our Patreon at patreon.com slash loading ready run. This show, as it is, as it says in the opening titles, Casual Discussions of Casual Magic. Actually, does it even say that? It used to that used to be part of the opening title sequence. And I don't know if it's still actually on there. But anyway, Tap Tap Conceit is a a low-key, you know, entertainment podcast, really, where we talk about uh, Magic the Gathering and we want to get into talking about spoiler cards and stuff. But there was a big I guess I guess you call it an open letter from uh, Zane Begg that went out about a week ago, sort of talking about a pattern of actions and inactions from Wizards of the Coast that do not mesh well with Wizards' recent statements about how much they respect race and equality for everyone. Essentially, it's an open letter called The Wizards I Know. It came out on Monday. And yeah, it just outlines a pattern of behavior related to like Wizards hiring practices corporate culture that does not mesh well or is not compatible with their public image. And I think it's worth a read. I definitely think that you should check it out. We're not going to deep dive into it on this show, but we didn't want to just barrel on into spoiler season as if it didn't exist. And I do want to mention something that something from it that sort of really got my goat personally, which is that the internet community really latched on to this card, Invoke Prejudice, from 1994. The card, I mean, it's called Invoke Prejudice. The card depicted people in white hoods. It was drawn by an artist who was allegedly a white supremacist. Supre- Why can't I say that word? It doesn't come up a lot in my day-to-day speech. It's a hard word to say. It was yeah. drawn by an artist who allegedly is white supremacist. Yeah, it also has the multiverse ID or had the multiverse ID of 1488, which is a racist dog whistle, which could have very well been a complete accident and 
for whatever that matters, that is no longer the case. They've changed that multiverse ID and the card artwork is no longer on Gatherer. And indeed that card is also now banned from tournament play along with Cleanse, Stone Throwing Devils, Pradesh, Gypsies, Jihad, Imprison, and Crusade. All for various reasons that if you go and look at what they were, it's probably fairly obvious. And I think that it is a disservice to the rest of Zame's letter, how much people latched onto that thing because it was so obvious and it was something everybody could look at and go, look, look at this, look how bad this is, this clear visual thing that we can point to. And Wizards looked at that and went, boy, that's right, let's fix it. And they fixed it. And it's like, great, job done. Whereas there's other stuff in the letter, like how there's practically no black artists working on the game that I think is a much more present and current and relevant issue to deal with. And uh, I think it's a disservice to what Zame is trying to do that everyone latched so hard onto trying to get wizards to act on this card invoke prejudice, which they did. So congratulations that that worked, but now the rest of that letter. Mm. Yeah. I think the best thing they could like, Fixing that database entry and banning those cards is something they could do easily and kind of for free. You know, no one's even going to miss any of those cards in constructive play. Crusade's about the closest one to being playable, and just why. But what we'd really like to see, I think, is more diversity hiring. You know, seriously, like, you know, just getting getting the, the bench at Wizards and the artists to have more diverse backgrounds. I think that would be good, and in the future, I'd like to see that. So would I, and... We hope that you'll check that letter out. And like I said, we're not going to deep dive into it here because it's not really what this show is for, but it would be weird if we just pretended like that didn't happen. Speaking of things that may or may not happen, but probably will, (laughs) by now we should have some idea of what the Core Set 2021 pre-pre-release will look like. At time of recording, we're still working on that, but by the time you're hearing this, we should have more information on it. So please go check out the LRR MTG Twitter account or wherever else you get information about us, and we will do our best to uh, get that information out there as to what form the PPR will be taking in this strange new world. I hope that you're enjoying how interactive Tap Tap Conceit is. It's like, here we are in the past, you know, saying, hey, there's a PPR coming up soon, but, you know, it's future Graham and James's problem. <laughs> but <laughs> but you get to listen to it and then just, like, hit the LRR MTG Twitter and find out what happened. I mean, the way I go through life is that I, I usually take great comfort in the idea that at some point in the future, problems become solved. That's it. One way or yeah. another. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ideally, not by you. That's the that's the best bet. I hopefully, oh, for, for all our benefits. If something happens by if, so, if I do something, I use the active tense in the English language. But if someone else does something, passive tense. That's why problems will become solved. I certainly don't. No, wait. I can't even conjugate that. So the question of what will happen at the 2021 PPR will be solved by the time you're hearing this. Will have become solved. There you go. Ah, perfect. A++. So, to the main thrust of this... That's a great word, yeah. Yeah, let's use that one. Why not? To the main thrust of this episode. It's M 
2021 spoiler season, and we should talk about our card first. Let's do that. This this is a this is a fun one. It's I kept reading it and was like, this is this is a really interesting card. And I think, well, I thought it was really interesting. And then Nelson was like, oh, it's just a goblin stuffy doll, surely. But, which is I guess is also fairly accurate. Brash Taunter is four and a red for a one-one goblin who is indestructible. And whenever it is dealt damage, it deals that much damage to target opponent. But also for two and a red and tap it. It fights another creature. Stuffy doll plus. Yeah, because you get to just sort of be like, you, the big guy, fight me. And then the brash taunter doesn't die and their controller takes however much power that creature is. Yeah, it might be like 10 times as good as stuffy doll. It seems fun. I look forward to drafting it. I look forward to hearing people saying mean things after they cast it. (laughs) (laughs) Just to be on flavor. I want to see a situation where you cast a pump spell on your opponent's creature oh yeah Ooh, yeah so that it deals the dam- deals lethal damage giant growth has always been a lightning bolt but never quite like this yeah also it's another target creature so even if your opponent doesn't have any creatures or has smaller creatures than yours you could just fight your creatures no need to untap that colossification creature i've got this covered Oh my god. Ooh, yeah. You've just you've cracked this thing wide open. Wide open. You're welcome, standard players. Enjoy your pro tour victories. I think this is a I think this is a sweet card. I don't know if it'll be any good in outside of limited, but I don't know. I think it's kinda of, kinda of great. I was just scrolling through the spoiler and realized that Grasp of Darkness has been reprinted at common. So I mean it's typically a common, but yeah, maybe the dream is dead. It's like it has Grasp of Darkness had a few printings. It's been uncommon some of the time, at least. Wasn't it? It was uncommon more recently, but it was common the first time, I think. This is maybe the third printing. Yeah, it might have been common in Scars. Like first Scars of Mirrodin. Yeah, like yeah. Scars or New, New Phyrexia, maybe. I was just going to say, though, Stuffy Doll has been a real card, not like a mainstream card, but local L3 in Vancouver who used to play at Yellow Jacket and was studying here at, at UVic when he first became a judge, Nico Scarfett won a PTQ with a red-white stuffy doll slash, like, or- Orem's Scepter deck. So it was, like, extended back in, I don't know, 2005 or something. But, yeah, won a, won a big tournament that gets you a flight to, like, Hawaii or a flight to Tokyo or something with stuffy doll. So not outside the realm of playable. Cool. Yeah. So there you go. That's That's my whole story. It's over now. That's a that's a fine way to end a story. That is the that's it. It's over. Now <laughs> you you two both last week you talked about the two cards that had been released at the time, but now we know a lot more about so the set. What's what sort of what's going on in this set? Cats and dogs living together. Mass hysteria. It looks like a lot of Amon Cat and a little bit of Alara. I want to say, right. notably, we have Prowess back. In the form of Jeskai Elder. Ooh. I think there was a couple other creatures spoiled with prowess. Mm-hmm. But yes. Jeskai Elder, a decent reprint. Yeah, uh, totally fine common. Absolutely. Jeskai Elder is an uncommon. Is it an uncommon? Well then, <clears throat> we can fix that in post. We can edit that out. All right. <laughs> nice. Can I just get you to take a short pause, then say un, then take another short pause? 
Un. Don't don't do that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll cut that in. Perfect. And it will sound like uncommon. Yeah. And the clock will be, be spinning in the background the entire time. Seamless. Now, when you say cats and dogs living together, surely you mean cats and hounds. I don't. In fact, there's been some chicanery at play in the creature types of Magic the Gathering. I haven't read the FAQ, but I'm pretty sure it goes something like, all hounds are now dogs. That's right. You asked for it. Now you get a good boy. That's that, that's about that's about the size of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure how long people have been asking for the dog creature type. I was not one of these people, but I have to guess that the choice to print actual real dogs and to probably errata all other hounds to become dogs came from, you know, you, the listener of Tap Tap Concede. You did this. I blame you. <laughs> it's all your fault. In fact, not only are cats and dogs living together in the set, as there are many of both, but there is, in fact, also Rin and Siri inseparable. So the card is a dog and a cat who are obviously best friends. But of course, because of how magic typing works, they are the card is legendary creature dog cat. <laughs> Unholy. Unholy. One red, green, white for a 4-4 dog cat. Whenever you cast a dog, you get a 1-1 green cat. Whenever you cast a cat, you get a 1-1 white dog. And then for red, green, white, and tap, Rin and Seri deals damage to any target equal to the number of dogs you control. You gain life equal to the number of cats you control. It says they're inseparable, so maybe it, it is like one thing. Like, we don't know what's behind that cute little, you know, kitty and dog picture. Maybe it's like a weird Eldrazi connection thing. Maybe they've been touched <laughs> yeah. by Emrakul. We are the dog cat. Yeah, it's like the thing back there. Exactly. Wow. Thanks for blowing this one open, wide open, Nelson. Mystery solved. All right, thanks for listening to Tap Tap Concede. I've been uh, Nelson, joining this week by <laughs> Graham and Cameron. Enjoy that one, listeners. That is going to be a fun commander deck. Mm. like the the dog the dog cat commander deck is going to be that'll be a fun one to build they're all going to be called homeward bound oh incredible journey i'm gonna talk about another good cat the pride malkin just because like look at this smug little bastard (laughs) two and a green have you seen this guy two and a green for a two one when Pride Malkin enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control, and each creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it has trample. I don't know why. I guess they're just like, this cat's so cute, I'm so mad. Yeah, it's like this cat just gets to go wherever it likes. It's that form of trample that's kind of like unblockable. Yeah. Oh, there you go. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> nothing can stop that kitty. I mean, look at look at Alpine Watchdog. It's just a dog. It's not magical or special. It's just a very good dog. Two <laughs> two for one and a white with vigilance. It just stands there and is like, "Hello, I'm dog." And you're like, "Aren't you supposed to be carrying a cask of brandy?" And it's like, "No, that's a myth." <laughs> yeah. It is too, isn't it? All right. If we're gonna talk about adorable art that relates to creature types, we also need to bring up Truffle Snout. Mm. Truffle Snout is quite possibly the greatest magic card ever printed. Yeah, quite possibly. <laughs> it's does it have like war paint to, to make it look like a raccoon? 
Like, how many bases are we trying to cover here with truffle Well, it has makeup because somebody loves it, Nelson. Okay, that's fair. New squad goals. (laughs) (laughs) Have someone love me so I can have makeup. But yeah, this is two and a green for a 2-2 boar with when this enters the battlefield, choose one, put a plus one plus one counter on Truffle Snout, or you gain four life. So a pretty solid role player for limited. Plus just a fantastic art of a uh, a pig who I assume has already gotten fat on the mushrooms that didn't make it into the basket. Just thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of truffles. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's actually how truffle pigs in real life are trained. I think they just feed them lots of truffles. That's how you have to do it. It's partly why it's so expensive, right? You got to eat like, truffles to make truffles. Exactly. You got to have truffles to, to, to make truffles, right? Mm. All I know is that Prince Philip couldn't manage it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't get that reference. I don't get that one either. Sorry. Oh, no. Prince Philip tried to grow truffles. Oh. Because he was like, I don't see the point of, you know, paying import fees or whatever. He felt they were too Some... expensive paying some frenchman with a pig exactly why don't why can't we grow them here and he tried and he failed miserably and then everyone laughed at him including me now on this podcast (laughs) he he just turned 99 wow i saw that are we sure (laughs) no he definitely looks like an animated body i think it's weekend at phillips over there Jesus. Hey, let's. Uh, let's speaking of uh, speaking of, mommy, uh, I don't want to go to Great Grandpa's house. It's scary. Speaking of raising the dead, let's talk about the planeswalkers because we got a real we got a real nice uh, handful of five planeswalkers for this set. Liliana, Waker of the Dead, two black black for a four loyalty planeswalker. Plus one, each player discards a card. Each opponent who can't loses three life. Minus three, target creature gets minus X, minus X until end of turn where X is the number of cards in your graveyard. And minus seven, you get an emblem with at the beginning of combat on your turn. Put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. It gains haste. I love this card. Yeah, that's decent. I mean, it's. I don't think it's as anywhere near as good as Liliana of the Veil. I think that one mana probably is a lot of mana, but this is a good card. Liliana of the Veil is kind of like, it's one of those, no Liliana is ever going to be as good as Liliana of the Veil. Because Liliana of the Veil is like, is potentially too good. Yeah, it's, it's unreasonable to compare Planeswalkers to Liliana of the Veil. But this one, this one almost bears comparison. Liliana of the Veil is format warping, but this card looks very strong. Yeah, this comes down for loyalty and either goes up to five and your opponent discards something or loses three life, probably discards something on turn four, or comes down, goes down to one loyalty, gets to kill something because presumably you've been putting things in your graveyard up to this point. Yeah, it's just it's a, it's a nice little engine. The Veil comparison is actually really good too because it plus ones to make both player discard a card. It has a little bit of upside for your extra mana and then it minuses to kill a creature. There's going to be plenty of situations where this is better than Liliana of the Veil for that reason. I mean, obviously it costs more mana, but, you know, you can target a creature. So, like, the, the minus two on Liliana sometimes is blanked by a large board. There, our five Planeswalkers are Liliana, Chandra, Garrick, 
which is sort of like, oh, wait, I've been in this corset before. But then in blue is Teferi and in white is a totally new character. So we'll we'll get to we'll get to him uh, in a moment. But let's go through the sort of the usual suspects. Chandra, Heart of Fire, three red red. So five mana for five loyalty. Plus one, discard your hand. Uh-huh. Then exile the top three cards of your library until end of turn you may play cards exiled this way. Not for free, but you can play them. A different plus one. Chandra Heart of Fire deals two damage to any target. All right. And then minus nine. Search your graveyard and library for any number of red instant and or sorcery cards. Exile them, then shuffle your library. You may cast them this turn. Add six red mana. Weird. That's so odd. I mean, it seems decent it's a little she's a little expensive but i mean i guess two plus one options are pretty pretty good right like you cast her on five and then scorch something or shock something Mm -hmm. excuse me and then on subsequent turns you can just kind of ancestral i think maybe we'll see this make the cut since we're talking about all the planeswalkers in the set if there happens to be a red green or mono red ramp deck that wants to cast Ugin, maybe Chandra Heart of Fire will tag along for the ride. Ugin the Spirit Dragon also reprinted in this in this core set. It's not a new card. It's the, the eight mana favor forged Ugin. But that's an important planeswalker that we've seen before. And I, I will be surprised if we don't get some standard decks looking to resolve Ugin. Right. I forgot there is actually that sixth planeswalker. Garrick is back as mono green, whatever was bothering garrick seems to have been dealt with and we're looking at garrick unchained two green green for a four loyalty walker plus one up to one target creature gets plus three plus three and trample until end of turn neat minus two create a three three beast then if an opponent controls more creatures than you put a loyalty counter on garrick Ooh. minus seven you get an emblem with at the beginning of your end step you may search your library for a creature and put it onto the battlefield then shuffle your library. I want to talk about that minus two. Yeah. That's super interesting. So if you're behind, you get to, you slam Garrick, you make a three, three. And then if you're still behind on board, Garrick goes back up to three loyalty. This might force your opponent to make some bad attacks because there's nothing saying like, or if your opponent has more creatures that are also better than yours, right? You get a loyalty counter. Like, it could be, I don't know, Lana War Elves over there, right? Nothing impressive. Nothing terribly formidable. Yeah. I think it's a, a cool use of, you know, design space that we haven't seen yet, where the Planeswalker sometimes, you know, gets more loyalty depending on the state of the board, a la, sorry, I forgot the name of that, two generic and a white sorcery that either gets you three one ones or gains you six life or both or neither. Timely reinforcements. There we go. It's a little bit like Timely Reinforcements, where it's conditional. But yeah, I think it's really cool. Also, there's probably some story that goes along with Garrick finally casting off the Chain Veil. Possibly, I mean, maybe we learned about that story back in Throne of Eldraine. But as you said, it's like we've got a mono green as opposed to a black green Garrick. So yeah, curious what's going on with our one of our original Planeswalking buddies. Happy to see him. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm happy that we get a, a nice four mana mono green Garak again. Now in blue, we have Teferi, but not just any Teferi, Teferi Master of Time, who has 
not only like a special showcase frame variant, but like several different versions of the art where, cause in the art, he's sort of standing in the middle of like this time vortex. And there's a bunch of different variants where he is exactly the same, but he's in different times or places. And it's, it's pretty interesting. I'm looking forward to examining these alternate arts more closely, just seeing small images of them on a computer screen. They looked almost identical to me. Yeah, they look very, very similar. It's weird, but not as weird as his abilities. So two blue, blue for three loyalty. So that's not amazing on rate, but let's see what happens. Well, first of all, same as Jace the Mind Sculptor. That's true. He has a static ability to start with. So that's interesting. You may activate loyalty abilities of Teferi Master of Time on any player's turn anytime you could cast an instant. Now, Judge. Yeah. Does that yeah, mean that yes. I can <laughs> I can play Teferi plus one Teferi past the turn and plus one on their turn as well? Or minus three on their turn and still have Teferi. That's... That's fascinating. All right, so let's see what his abilities are. Plus one, draw a card, then discard a card. Nice. You get to do that twice every turn cycle for free. Why Why is that plus one? Why is that plus, why is that not zero? Right? Minus three, target creature you don't control phases out. Yeah, this one... I'm not happy to see. (laughs) (laughs) It's like last set that came out. What was it? Oh, right. Mutate. You know, mutate's confusing. This is a weird rule they've chosen to to thrust upon us. And Serge and I are like doing up the PPR judge video and it takes a bunch longer than the normal one because there's so many rules for mutate. And it's a little weird. And and then one of the big previews this season is Teferi and he has phasing written on him so it's like oh boy eventually i'm gonna have to do paper calls for standard or i don't know maybe pioneer certainly draft tournaments they're just like what is phasing which means of course i'm gonna have to learn what phasing is it's very sad the (laughs) reminder text it's a mythic with reminder text which is uncommon to have that happen saying mythic and uncommon is is also confusing It says, treat it and anything attached to it as though they don't exist until it's controller's next turn. (laughs) Uh, That's great. Just utterly blanket, right? Just forget about it. Yeah, it's gone. Like it doesn't get exiled. It's not being blinked. It's just like, no, no, it's just not there. And then it's there again. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's probably right. (laughs) Okay. I will be reading the FAQ. Oftentimes when they bring back an old mechanic, they do a, a rules update. So I don't want to bother getting into what I what I do or or maybe know about phasing right now. But yeah, I'll have to I'll have to brush up on my understanding of phasing, certainly. Also, minus ten, take two extra turns after this one. Oh boy, that's a payoff right there. During which you can draw more cards. Sure. Maybe you'll just play more Teferis and take more turns before your opponent gets to go again. Why not take all the turns? Yeah. They have to concede eventually, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or you run out of cards and really that's its own kind of winning. Yeah. It's like you beat the end boss of yourself. (laughs) So that seems ridiculous. 
yeah, this card looks pretty good, I think. Yeah. The last Planeswalker is a new character from Amonket. This is Basriket. One white white for a three loyalty Planeswalker. Plus one, put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature and it gains indestructible until end of turn. Minus two, whenever one or more non-token creatures attack this turn, create that many 1-1 white soldier creature tokens that are tapped and attacking. And minus six, you get an emblem with, at the beginning of combat on your turn, create a 1-1 white soldier, then put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. I saw someone in the thread on the magic subreddit go, these abilities seem like very Gideon abilities. He's a white planeswalker. Why isn't this just another Gideon? And someone responded with, oh, you need to sit down. (laughs) I have some news. (laughs) This is just what white planeswalkers do. Like this just seems like a very good bunch of aggressive abilities with soldiers and counters. Yeah, I like this planeswalker a lot, especially that minus six being only maybe three turns away from casting Basri and Basri only costing three mana. That minus six is pretty good. You know, you get a free creature every turn, plus you get plus or plus counters on each of your creatures. The current state of stand, like you need to be pretty far ahead to beat that. You know, keep in mind the the Bosri player after playing this ultimate is going to cast more spells. So I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if you could try to put together a little bit of proliferate with this card and then plan to win on the ultimate. Sort of reminds me of the Liliana of the Last Hope. It's kind of similar. Liliana of the Last Hope like went exponential or whatever with your counting how many zombies you have and then adding two more. By way of reminder, Liliana the the Last Hope, one black black, three loyalty, plus one up to one target creature gets minus two, minus one until until your next turn. Minus two, put the top two cards of your library into your graveyard, and then you may return a creature card from your graveyard to your hand. And then minus seven, you get an emblem with at the beginning of your end step, put X two, two black zombies onto the battlefield where X is two plus the number of zombies you control. Wow, that gets out of hand. Yeah, right. So I guess the things that are similar here is like three mana. It's quite a bit less than four mana when you're looking to kind of pull off these shenanigans with a planeswalker and not just sort of play them fairly. And it also, they both have an ability that pluses that can help keep the planeswalker alive you know liliana can just either kill a small creature or just make the next turn's combat difficult and bosriket can do the same thing i mean you can plus one here to just attack you know your creature's getting bigger every time you use the plus one loyalty and then it also makes combat miserable because it's indestructible this turn but if you're just not attacking with that creature it's still bigger every turn so it's going to make combat harder for your opponent and you know even if you're just spending each of your turns putting dudes in front of Bosri's to chump block. That might not be that bad a game plan. So yeah, excited to see this card hit the battlefield. I'm a little bit worried that I'm going to get tired of it. <laughs> like you're going to see so many of them. It's possible. I mean, it's a new character in a planeswalker. So that's a bit of motivation for R and D, I think to let the power level slip a little bit on this one, right? Like we're familiar with all the other characters. But if this card or this character is going to be important in future storylines, they probably want the first card to be like kind of good. Just a guess. That makes sense. I mean, you don't want a Planeswalker's first first outing to be like, wow, this thing sucks. That's how you get Tybalt. Yeah. Hmm. 
Some other noticeable cards from this set. Baneslayer Angel is reprinted. She hasn't been back since, I want to say, M12? Maybe M11? Three generic and two white for a 5-5 Angel with flying, first strike, lifelink, and protection from demons and dragons, which is kind of a weird line of text that isn't on too many things, but I believe R&D just wanted to be five mana, five power, five toughness, five abilities, and they knew they wanted flying first strike lifelink, and then they were like, well, the other two aren't allowed to be good abilities. <laughs> but no. they wanted them to be, like, keyword abilities, like evergreen abilities, not like, you know, pay one and tap this, prevent one damage to target player or something. I recall when we started playing this game that Baneslayer Angel was spoken of in hushed tones as this absolutely ludicrous, not hushed at all. They were loud, angry <laughs> tones that this card was ridiculous and powerful and unbeatable and warped standard yeah so baneslayer angel if i recall is like the main center point in the whole like dies to removal conversation among among pros i want to say brian kibler was one of baneslayer's biggest proponents possibly also patrick chapin i think i read or heard through interviews both of them proclaiming like okay so normally you want to play a creature that has an ETB effect or has indestructible or haste or hexproof, some way to kind of get value or blank your opponent's removal. And those are the creatures that we play in Constructed. We kind of just don't play all the other ones because if I spend five mana to cast something, then you spend two mana to kill it, I'm behind. But Baneslayer Angel was just enough power and enough warping of the board for a reasonable enough price tag that it changed the rules. It was like, well, actually you're allowed to play Baneslayer Angel. And then if they kill it for two mana with like Doomblade, you know, for example, that one works. And I believe was in the standard format when Baneslayer was printed. If they kill it with Doomblade, you just kind of have to take that on the chin because all the times they don't kill, kill it with Doomblade and you untap with it. It just turns the game upside down, you know, so greatly that it's worth the risk. The adage I'd always heard was, you know, if you're going to be paying five mana for a creature, ask yourself two questions. Does it win the game when it enters the battlefield? If no, is it Baneslayer? <laughs> yeah. Okay, then you can still play it. While we're thinking about that, I want to talk about a new card for a fairly similar price tag. It's Elder Gargaroth for three green green. It's a new creature, uh, new, new printing of a card. It's a beast. It has six power and six toughness. It has vigilance, reach, and trample. Okay, that seems like a pretty reasonable card. Yeah, I guess it's like it has, I want to say, two more abilities. Wait, what? Yeah, I know. It's got more words. It's it's a 6-6 six, six for five with vigilance, reach, and trample. What more do you need? Yeah, I feel like I'm just, I'm just now understanding that R&D is trying to confirm my hypothesis that Elder Gargaroth will be able to play the role of Baneslayer Angel, since it seems like there's so much symmetry between these two cards. So it also has, whenever this attacks or blocks, choose one, make a green 3-3 beast creature token, gain three life, or draw a card. So What, what the yeah. hell? Yeah, this, yeah. So, but, but it doesn't have haste, and none of these things do anything as DTBs. So it has these very striking similarities to Baneslayer Angel, but the power on it is actually even cranked up a little. Now, yep. just in terms of life, it doesn't beat racing a Baneslayer Angel because if you if that's what you need to do, you're only swinging for nine points of life a turn and the Baneslayer is swinging for 10 in the sky. However, the Gargaroth blocks Baneslayer. Look at, yeah, that's just what I was going to say. Look, I need to buy the button. <laughs> 
that has reach. Too many words on this thing. I'd already had Vigilance and Trample, and I was remembering that it makes creatures and draws cards. But yeah. The, like, Baneslayer Angel flies directly into this thing's mouth. Comfor- comfortably. <laughs> Gains five life. Sure. Baneslayer Angel player's like, I guess I'll gain five. Yep. And then Elder Garkaroth, next turn, just punches, just starts landing blows in the midsection. Mm. Right? Yeah, so glad I brought this one up. Maybe this is Baneslayer's kid. You know, it's like the Baneslayer for today, as as magic cards need to continue to be more and more powerful. It just starts raining blows down upon the smaller mythic card. Right. <laughs> so if you're looking to play these two cards, I recommend including God's Willing in your deck. That's a great way to keep your creatures alive that might die to Doomblade otherwise. Also, another reprint from M21 that would play well with both of these big scary creatures, Heroic Intervention. An instant from... What was the second Kaladesh set? Ether Hour Revolt. of Devastation? No, oh, yeah, sorry, right. no, it wasn't Hour of Devastation. It was Ether Revolt. Right. One green and one generic, an instant that says permanence you control, gain hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. So pretty good way to dodge mo- most things. For two mana, you can dodge uh, you know, a targeted exile even, and you can also dodge a Shadow of the Sky or Day of Judgment effect. I don't like it. <laughs> don't care for it at all. You know who else is back, though? Who's that? Massacre Worm. Yeah. I love, love this card so much. Finally, Massacre Worm is back. Hey, you guys. As we like to say. Right, because Massacre Worm's mouth is so agape. He just looks so like yeah. he's going, hey. Hey. He just seems so happy. I've signed copies of Massacre Worm like that. Nice. Massacre Worm loves its job. Mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. so happy to go to work in the morning yeah i should read what this does i'm sorry if you're not familiar three black 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 for a six five when it enters the battlefield creatures your opponents control get minus two minus two until end of turn so against some decks that can be a board wipe and against other decks that can give you very favorable attacks and and whenever a creature an opponent controls dies that player loses two life now that second ability that stays there all the time Anytime Massacre Worm is out and an opponent's creature dies, they lose two life. But it also means that when it enters the battlefield, if it kills a bunch of stuff, it might also kill them. Yeah, if you're not sure how to play the Massacre Worm when you have it in your hand, you have the mana to cast it. Often the right answer is just cast it and then attack with everything that can attack. Mm -hmm. Because even if you don't get to kill them, they probably have to make some unprofitable blocks to stay alive. And then take a bunch of damage that way. Yeah, because like the the debuff is still on their entire team. Yeah, it's a brutal card. I just did my little brief interview with James Keating from uh, CFB this morning for the Bolt, and he asked me what my favorite tribe was, and I'm like elves. And it's like every time you're playing elves and someone throws this down, you know, it, it's so savage. Usually, if, if you're in the position where your your elves are already big enough that you're going to win, they they don't get to this mana. But if you're kind of struggling through against a deck that has some removal and some board wipes, and then they play the Masker Worms. Ah, it's so disheartening. Speaking of unexpected reprints, Asusa Lost But Seeking? Yeah. What's that about? In standard. Was it just part of this set before they banned Field of the Dead? And then they're like, <laughs> let's keep it in. <laughs> Why not? Oh, no. Also, another weird reprint, Grim Tutor. Yes. Both these cards really like kind of leverage the power of making 
purchasing packs of this set attractive. These, they're both pretty expensive cards that'll be cheap now because of the reprint. Grim Tutor, I just need to come out and say it. Like, this card is going to disappoint a whole new generation of players, and I can't wait <laughs> to watch people realize that they want to cut Grim Tutor from their decks. Now, why why is that? What's Grim Tutor do, and why is it not as good as you think? Cameron, why don't you read us Grim Tutor? You brought it up. Grim Tutor is a sorcery that casts for one generic mana and two black mana. It reads, search your library for a card, put that card into your hand, then shuffle your library. You lose three life. Seems pretty good, right? One more mana than Demonic Tutor? Yeah, that seems yep. fine. For some life points you don't need? Okay. The problem is that decks that really rely on tutors actually do need those life points. Mm. Like, a lot of the time. If the card that you're tutoring up is like your fourth Gary after you've played your first three, then that's cool. Like, it'll it'll be fine. And it'll it'll be a good role player for that if there's some standard decks that don't want to play the monkey's paw for some reason and would rather play this. I respect that. But I guess just my experience with it is in the formats where it's legal, i.e. Highlander. And it's just this weird card that we've kind of always considered pointing. But then if you play it, and you, you kind of examine its its strength versus drawback compared to all the other tutors in Highlander. It's just it's just regularly a letdown. Something else I really want to talk about is Teferi's Tutelage, which is not a reprint, but listen to this. Two in a blue for an enchantment. When Teferi's Tutelage enters the battlefield, draw a card, then discard a card. Cool. Whenever you draw a card, target opponent mills two cards. And I want to make it clear that that is the word on the card. Target player mills two cards. Mill is now a game. It's a keyword action. There's reminder text that says they put the top two cards of their library into their graveyard, but they've finally codified since I was looking this up just now. Antiquities. Yeah. And since antiquities, it's been an informal term. Thanks to millstone, been an informal term for, put the top card of library into graveyard and they've finally been like all right all right all right fine you know what it's it's real now this feels like a weird one that's a nice quality of life adjustment that i feel like no one asked for but i'm fine with it i'm sort of curious why now like do we have i haven't really checked do we have the full spoiler yet no we couldn't possibly because i know our card hasn't been spoiled at time Mm -hmm. of recording correct so i'm curious if there's some other you know a set of cards at least that does milling because it's, it seems like another sort of important point. Like, Oh, we, we renamed it. We named a new keyword. That's been a keyword for a while, but this card's quite good. I mean, this is going to win a lot of draft games. Yeah. This seems, this seems very cool. I mean, um, I'm remembering psychic corrosion from a couple core sets ago and draft was definitely super annoying and you could build around it. And uh, this is just sort of, I mean, this is, it's all that did was when you draw a card, they mill to this is that, but it starts you off, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or Jace's erasure often could win games. And that was just when you draw a card, they mill one. And this is only one more mana to mill them too. Even just with some defense, you know, like in a draft game, Jace's erasure is a clock. So yeah. Watch out for Te- Teferi's tutelage. Maybe, maybe hate draft them. If you're not, not too devoted to whatever else is in the pack with Te- Te- Teferi's tutelage. I also feel it's incumbent upon me to mention Gormand or Gormand, okay. which is a four black black demon, which reads as an additional cost to cast this spell, 
sacrifice a creature. It is flying and trample, and when Gourmand enters the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices a creature. So this is like not great, huh. but I play aristocrats, and I feel that I'm supposed to be happy. <laughs> I'm more excited about the the update to Alter's Reef. That's only one mana. I don't know if that's a slam dunk in Highlander Aristocrats because I never know. Uh, I don't know either. I think this is definitely a real card. You know, you took a card that was like, okay, in draft, not amazing. Mm -hmm. And you sh just shaved a mana off of it. So now you're like, well, maybe this is a constructed card. Which one? Sorry. Yeah. Village Rights. It is a one black mana instant that reads as an additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice creature, draw two cards. Yeah. Oh. So for one black, I feel like oh, I'll sleeve that up and see what happens. Yeah, for one black, I'll play that. Drawing two cards and then hopefully getting a bunch of effects? Sure, why not? Why not? Yeah. If your opponent is being real reticent about attacking into your skull-clamped whatever, then you can force the issue. And I will. Enthusiastically. And you mm -hmm. have. Yes. And you will again. Cultivate is back, as well as Rewind. Some good cards from older corsets. Cultivate. Mm -hmm. If you've played... Commander ever, you've probably seen it. Two generic and a green for search your library for two basic lands, but one to play tap and the other in your hand. And rewind two generic and blue blue for an instant counter target spell, then untap four up to four lands you control. So those are those are both role players we might see in standard decks as well. There's honestly I mean, I feel like we've been in this I feel like I've said this so many times that it's just because I'm stuck in this weird mental state of like what corsets used to be even before I was playing, so I don't know what it is, but every it seems like every time there's a core set, I'm like, oh, there's actually a lot of really powerful looking cards here. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, there are. There's just a lot of really powerful looking cards here. Yeah, it looks, looks like a totally worthy set. Yeah, I think there's a thing when you're looking at a card you haven't seen yet to kind of give it more of a chance in your mind than a card that has been around for a while. You know, like there's probably a few cards that, if we hadn't seen any standard results for the past three months, we could go back and look at the spoilers for all the sets that are currently legal and standard. And we'd be able to say like, Oh yeah, I think this can be really important. Like, you know, what's a good example is like questing beast that wasn't very popular last week when companions were afoot and probably has been getting more play now, but certainly questing beast seems like a ridiculous powerhouse, but then, well, it doesn't really go into Yorion deck. It doesn't really go into an Obosh deck, you know? So it just didn't get, it got hardly any play at all for, a full season and i think when you aren't just using the razor of like what what can barely make it past all the other good standard decks on the other end of that i can't wait to see what card gets absolutely destroyed by people's initial impressions and then ends up being supremely busted because that's that's always fun that is like one of the best things about magic like when you pay attention to constructed formats and then like a new deck comes out and you know it could have come out three weeks ago or a month ago like it's it's the best when it takes a while like that's that's like the thing the pros do that's like one of the most entertaining things for the rest of the community where they like figure out a deck you know and it has to do with cards that anyone could have figured out and put together and there's there's this sort of cool race that everyone's doing to try to like figure out standard right and so it's just really exciting to see the combinations absolutely yeah I can't find a card that would use it, but I wanted to just mention um, before we go, if it's okay, that 
I saw on Arena when I was playing the the Open two weekends ago that along with Mill, this new key or the the keyword where your creature deals damage equal to its toughness instead of its power had a name when I hovered over my opponent's Hwatli or something, and it was Backbone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's new. That's an arena thing. Oh, okay. It's just, is it an old arena keyword, but it's not a keyword in the rest of Magic? There are certain things that they use on arena that seem like keywords that aren't official Magic keywords, but that they use as a shorthand to... Yeah, I can't remember why this came up, but I remember reading about it. Okay, neat. All right. I thought, just to the timing of it, I thought maybe that was going to be another one. Because I, I saw this right after Mill was kind of revealed as a new keyword. So I wondered right. if it was another keyword they were going to throw out. Okay, well, well, that's only been some cards from the upcoming core set. There are many, many more, and I'm sure we will discuss them in, in future. But, I mean, heck, it's shaping up to be a... Real nice corset. Agreed. It's got cats and dogs. It's got cats and dogs. (laughs) What more do you need? Yeah. So until we talk more about corset 2021 or indeed get a chance to play corset 2021, keep an eye on the skies for information about the PPR and we will be back with you next week. Until then, reminder that this show is brought to you by cardkingdom.com. Our good friends at Card Kingdom do send them your business cardgame.com slash LRR and send us your business at patreon.com slash loading ready run. Thank you for letting us continue to do the things that we do. Uh, until next time, I've been Graham uh, joined by Cameron Dubai and Nelson Black Lives Matter. They do. Thank you for that. Yes. And thanks to James for hanging out and running tech. And uh, we'll talk to you all next time. Bye everybody. Bye.